0: It's the most all-star studded challenge ever, and this time it's every competitor for themselves. Best Challenge ever. The Challenge All-Stars, new season now streaming on Paramount Plus. Go to paramountplus.com to try it free. Terms apply. We need to talk. The acclaimed Showtime original docu-series Couples Therapy returns with an addictive and revealing new season. Dr. Orna is back in session, helping four new couples grapple with real issues from religion and sex to polyamorous power dynamics. Collider says couples therapy is like nothing else on TV. It's break up or break through on the new season of couples therapy. Now streaming with a Paramount Plus with Showtime Plan. Visit ParamountPlus.com to try it free.
1: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear.
0: Hello and welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, John Siegley again. Tommy is back from vacation, but since I was with this motley crew of misfits the last time we talked about this topic, figured I'd come back around for a second go at it. I'm joined by Mike Ingersoll, Jason Staples, Buck Sanders. We're going to be talking about everyone's favorite topic, the NCAA. Love it. But there actually was a lot of, of news that came out today. I don't know if anyone has seen it. Uh, but Mike, your is your article live right now? I thought I saw some people talking about it, or is it going live later
1: on? I think it went live earlier today, okay. uh, earlier today Thursday, around lunchtime.
0: Yep. So if anyone who is listening to this has not read Mike's article on the name image likeness changes that occurred today, you need to go read it. Um, it is available on the Inside Carolina website. The Tar Pit Premium Message Board might even be posted on the Basketball Premium Premium Message Board as well. But go read that article. For those of it, for those that have not read it already, we will be covering it a little bit in the podcast here. But guys, let's just jump right into it. And since Mike is the man of the hour, going to start off with him. Mike, I mean, just give us a quick bird's eye view of how the name image likeness is, how that changed today for college sports.
1: Yeah. So today, uh, July 1, 2021 was the effective date for a lot of state legislation on name, image and likeness. And f- so that we can go ahead and frame the conversation when we talk about name, image and likeness in the college athletics context, we're talking about uh, the name, the face, uh, the, the reputation and everything associated with college athlete and this applies to all sports not just revenue sports all athletes are covered by this and uh, a number of states and i don't have the list in front of me but a number of states uh, have enacted laws that became effective today july 1st Um, most other states with the exception of west virginia and maybe one or two three others um most other states have at least something passed or in the pipeline um, that's that's at the at the least been proposed to be passed that would give athletes the ability at state universities and private universities in the state where that legislation is passed to uh, profit off of their name image and likeness Um, right now what the ncaa has done effective today to coincide with some of those uh, earlier effective dates for the for the nil laws um, what the ncaa has done is it has issued uh, what they call interim nil guidance and um, that comes with a it's relatively short. It's fairly vague. And I think that's by design. Um, and we'll get into sort of what the scope of that is. But essentially, the NCAA punts to, no pun intended, the NCAA punts to the colleges and universities to determine what their, and their uh, name, image, and likeness policy should be for their athletes. Um, and this applies to the athletes under scholarship, walk-ons, doesn't really matter. And again, it applies to every single sport. So that's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the developments in, in NIL and sort of what that's going to mean moving forward.
0: All right. Thanks, man. Buck, how about uh, what was your take on today's events and really your thoughts when you saw what was coming out?
2: Like Mike, I've you know, sort of been following this for a while, ever since the NCAA versus O'Bannon or O'Bannon versus NCAA uh, killed. Um college, uh, EA sports, uh, which was a big deal. Um, and everybody freaked out, uh, because at that time, uh, EA sports had a college game, um, where it had every team in the, uh, NCAA or FBS at least. And you could, you know, make a, football team out of, uh, the current roster. Essentially, they didn't have the guys names on the back of those, of the jerseys, but they were the same height, same look, same number, uh, played the same position as guys actually on the team. And when, um, Claudia Wilkin, who is the same judge. Uh, that was the, uh, judge in the Austin case that we talked about earlier, uh, rule that now you can't do that, uh, without compensating the athletes, um, you're using their name, image and likeness and in no other universe is that possible without, you know, compensating the athlete. So at that time, uh, and that's been a while back, what 2014,
1: 2009 yeah. was when O'Bannon was first brought. Um, it then got consolidated with another case, the Keller litigation. That's Sam Keller, um, uh, former Nebraska quarterback. That got consolidated. Then they resolved it. It got deconsolidated. And then the the O'Bannon case, from the antitrust perspective, the antitrust claims in the O'Bannon case were revived and put back before Claudia Wilkin in 2014. That's what you're talking about. That's the case that ultimately went to the Ninth Circuit. Yeah.
2: So, you know, even before then, when that, that case came out and we were just following it, you know, even before the final ruling, it always seemed to me that, you know, why should college football players or basketball players be treated any different than an Olympic, uh, athlete, you know, for, for years and years and years, swimmers, skiers, uh, you name it, uh, could sign. Uh, endorsement deals and so on and so forth. Um, and not run afoul of the NCAA's eligibility rules. So to me, it, you know, even back in 09, 10, 11, whatever, it seemed to me that, um, you know, ultimately this was going to come down the pike and it, it was just not going to be any way to stop it. You know, they just, and, and like the Austin case, um, uh, and referring to the Austin case, the NCAA is not going to throw up any barriers uh, to name, image, and likeness at this time. After being depanced by the Supreme Court uh, on the um, in the Austin case, so uh, they had little opportunity; they had little choice but to say, "Okay, we're good with name, image, and likeness," because. Um, I, I think maybe they've spent 46 million this year in litigation. I think that's an accurate number Jeez. right around 46 million litigating, uh, cases, uh, this year. And, um, I, I guess one of their lawyers may have tapped them on the shoulder and said, uh, maybe you, maybe you're misspending some of this money here. We're not winning anything, but, um, so lawyers you know, wouldn't my, do that, Buck, come on now. Well, that's probably true. Fight, <laughs> fight, fight. fight. Says, uh, says,
1: says the lawyer.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, you could see this coming uh, from a mile away. Um, almost, well, oh, almost 10 years, almost a decade ago, you could see this day coming uh, as much as, um, you know, the NCAA has tried to fight it. And, and now it's all about how is this going to play out? that that's the thing that everybody is, is, uh, thinking about who is it going to help? Who is it going to hurt? What's it going to mean? What's it going to look like? Um, and for now, I think, you know, for the next several months, it's going to kind of look like the wild west, but then I think it's going to die down and in about three or four months we'll reach some sort of normalization with it, but, uh fascinating topic to me and i'm glad we've got mike and jason and you along to help explain it Uh, i don't know how
0: much i'm going to be contributing i'm going to leave it to to, uh, jason and mike mostly here but jason we haven't heard from from you Matt man uh from you yet sorry about that and you know let's just go ahead and go around the the table get your thoughts on on today's happenings i think Most of the preliminary stuff has already been, has already been said.
3: I think one of the really interesting things that's going to come out of this is looking at how the schools basically move forward and what limitations they they try to put on this because they're, they're all kind of the, the schools that are, that are making these decisions are, they're kind of in a tough spot because if you, they know that if they err on the side of being lax, that the NCAA could come back and be like, Oh yeah, well, you know, that, that was obviously too much. And now we're going to penalize you (laughs) versus, uh, you know, being too, uh, too harsh on this and not allowing enough flexibility and other institutions are definitely going to use that against them in recruiting and all sorts of things. So that that's one thing just to, that I'm keeping my eye on is how different schools have handled this. I mean, I've I found it fascinating how certain schools have so totally leaned into this. I mean, LSU released a whole like hype video around like our, our student athletes can now do this. Um, you know, you've, you, you saw similar things at, at other schools around the country where they're, they're trying to communicate that like, look, we're on board with this for, for our students, uh, for, our, for our student athletes. And, uh, you know, that, uh, that also is, is interesting. The other thing is, I, you know, as Buck said, it, it, it may look like the Wild West initially. I, I actually think that the market's going to start out kind of small uh, for the most part. You're going to see things like, you know, Armando Baycott, for example, uh, just uh, just got announced. Uh, what, what was it? Um, is it the uh, it's an oyster bar or something like that? Um, yeah. That, you know, it's like, you know, these are these are these are small things. But I mean, they matter. And they're a big deal for, for players. But I think that's most of what we're going to see initially, along with some memorabilia stuff and things like that, that will uh, that will certainly help the, the star players for sure. I mean, the, the ones that are stars on teams are going to benefit from this the most. And then, you know, your average player really isn't probably going to see a whole lot other than maybe, you know, getting some free food now. I think that may be the biggest thing is that the, uh, the old Jameis Winston uh, uh, crab leg special is now something that you don't have to lie to the NCAA and say, yeah, well, you know, I was walking out with it, uh, with it. uh, It was, I was totally just, I was intending to shoplift here (laughs) as opposed to I had a hookup where they were giving me, you know, free seafood when, you know, on occasion, can't say that because the NCAA is going to bust you. Well now, yeah, you can just, you know, sign it sign a deal with, (laughs) with Publix or with, you know, the, the, the oyster bar or whatever, where you like the food and be like, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll actually give you guys a picture and, you know, maybe, uh, maybe do a couple things like this. And now you give me free food, no problem. So that I think is one of the other really interesting things about that. Cause every one of us mm-hmm. knows that in every college town, I mean, even FCS college towns, you're going to get at student athletes. You're going to get free food oftentimes. Uh, and this is something that I think makes things a lot easier in terms of enforcement for schools that don't have to worry about some of those things to the same degree now
0: yeah well, and the, the,
1: yeah go, go ahead oh, go, go ahead. ahead john no you, oh, i was just go
0: gonna ahead. say so to, to clarify the uh the crab crab one that baycock got was actually jimmy's famous seafood so oh yeah to, yeah the baltimore those are unc
1: guys, Jimmy, yeah, was guys. Saying, jimmy's yeah. seafood
0: there's a bunch of unc guys yep um, so some some good icy stuff there and then i was also j- gonna make a joke about mike being old and on the uh, ncaa football game at some point but
1: oh i've got yeah. I've, I've got mine i've got my copies in a in, a, in the fire safe upstairs <laughs> What was your name in the game? Oh, I can't remember what my name was. I will say that, that for the most part they had my game day attire down to a T. Really? I mean, from what I recall, they even had I wore an elbow sleeve on my left elbow, but not my right. And I think it was might have been the 2010 version. It had the Utah quarterback on the cover. Um, I think in that 2010 EA Sports College Football, I had an elbow sleeve on just one elbow and not the other. So I mean, and I was an, and I was a nobody. So detail. That's, yeah, the, the level of detail was pretty astonishing. And that's, you know, what gave rise to, the, you know, that, that's, that's what made Ed O'Bannon go, wait a second. And ultimately filed the lawsuit. Yep. But uh, Jason made a good point on who, the, who's going to be able to benefit from this early on. Knee jerk reaction is it's going to be star players, but the other population to think about are these kids who have come in now with massive social media followings. So I saw a, a story today about a gymnast at LSU, uh, you know, little blonde girl, I think she might be a sophomore. Maybe she's a junior. She came into college with millions of followers on TikTok and Instagram, and several ten, you know, a couple ten thousand on Twitter. And it's uh, fans need to remember that it's not unusual for people to monetize their social media followings. It's not unusual for folks mm-hmm. to, you know, to get a contract with, you know, some company. Call it, we'll call it Olay Moisturizer, and Olay will pay somebody you know, an influencer, quote unquote, influencer will pay them $100,000 for a couple tweets every week for an entire year, or they'll pay mm-hmm. them one or two grand per tweet or per Instagram post or per per product placement in a TikTok video. When you've got millions of followers, you become very valuable to these companies as, a, as an influencer of young people. If that's that company's target demographic, college age kids or younger, well, now you're getting you have a with with somebody who has millions and millions of social media followers. It's obvious the product gets out there. You get not free advertising because you're paying for it, but it's more organic advertising, um, and that's really the way that a lot of these companies have started to move. They've started to use social media influencers. So now with this with this new NIL legislation, whether it's the schools' policy or the NCAA's policy or state law, whichever, or the conferences' policy, remember we've got a whole bunch of things working here. Um, But regardless of whichever policy the, the student athlete is required to follow based on the circumstances of the state that they go to school in, they can now monetize their social media accounts. And most of these young kids understand how social media works. They understand how to build a brand. They understand how to build a following. And it is all about getting followers and getting eyeballs and getting clicks and likes and things like that. And now they can turn that into actual dollars, whereas before they couldn't. And you don't need to use, for the most part, your school's logos, your school's marks, where you go to school. You don't really need all that. Once that follower base is established, those advertisers, they don't care about really where you go to school. If you wa- if you already have the established follower base on social media, they just care about the number of people who are, who have eyeballs on your account. And it doesn't matter that you play football at Alabama or that you're a gymnast at LSU or that you're a rower at Michigan. It doesn't matter. Um, so that's where the, you know, these kids, you know, people worry about, well, how am I, hey, one thing I've heard a lot from folks is, well, how are these kids supposed to really market themselves when they can't use the school's marks or logos? Not hard. It's not that hard. Um, some kids will be harder than others. And yes, I mean, we're kidding ourselves if we don't think that, you know, the school you attend actually build, you know, build your personal brand. It absolutely does. So you can you can piggyback off of the UNC brand. It's an established brand. It's a household name, things like that. And if you can't use the UNC logo, you can't use the UNC color scheme, you know, in terms of trade dress, if it's a specific uniform pattern or something like that. um, You know, if you can't use that, that might hamstring some kids a little bit, um, but not much. And one, one side point to make there is that not every school is going to restrict that either. Some schools, you know, might allow kids, and I've seen this, I've seen some schools completely restrict the use of marks and logos belonging to the university. I've seen others that have thought about potentially um, uh, just charging a licensing fee, like they'd charge anybody to use their mark or their logo. So again, you're gonna see variation amongst the schools and variation amongst the conferences as to what's permissible, but that is a big population, student population um, that stands to really benefit from this um, and really, really make a lot of money off this deal, whereas before they could make nothing.
3: Yeah, and, yeah and, and to build off of that, uh, sorry, John. Uh, to 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 build off of that, two things. One is uh, in in terms of the limitations, I would expect that a lot of schools are with that that are more lax on the on the logo and that sort of thing. Basically, the the restrictions that they're likely to put in place are: look, if we're a Nike school, you can't go on and you know have a bunch of adidas <laughs> like you can't do stuff with adidas you know and then have school school issued gear on with that that's the sort of thing that that obviously it's a conflict but beyond that i mean maybe those schools... may,
1: maybe and let's flesh that out here in a second but so hold that yeah, thought
3: but go that on. would be the sort of thing that i would i would expect you know most schools to be like well you know if we've got an arrangement with you know Winn dixie is the official uh grocery store of this school you know you can't uh you, you can't go in our school's Stuff and you know talk about how great Publix is or whatever. So that's the sort of thing that um, that I would I would expect. Although again, there's some variation here, especially once you get into licensing charges and all that. But the other thing, and this is the bigger one, is when you're talking about Instagram influencer money. You know, you you, you talked about them earning you know decent money. We're, I don't think a lot of the the people listening to this. I, or I suspect that a lot of the people listening to this are not aware of how much money <laughs> there is available there.
1: I mean, I mean kid, we're talking
3: kids, kids could be millionaires by the end of this year,
1: depending right. on what oh, their yeah. social media following looks like. Yeah. We're Absolutely. talking
3: real money here. So I, I, I have in front of me, the average cost of an Instagram post for an advertiser who wants an influencer to, to make a post that, that pushes their, their product in 2021. If you have one to ten thousand followers you'll get somewhere between ten and a hundred dollars per post is the is the going rate that's that's okay right but here i'm just going to jump up to if you have over a hundred thousand followers you can expect anywhere from 500 to five thousand dollars per post that 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 the uh that that features that product if you have over a half a million followers you can expect anywhere from five to ten thousand dollars per post with that product. And if you have like this uh, gymnast that you mentioned, over a million followers, it's going to cost you ten thousand dollars just to get in, get into the discussion with that kind of influencer. And so that's got, with every advertiser. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so if you sign a deal with four advertisers to feature their products. And you're going to do by lunch. You've made 40 grand by lunch. You've made 40 grand for four posts. Yeah. And if you're going to do, and if you're going to do say one post for each brand a month, you're making 40 grand a month. And that's for 1 million followers. If you have four or five, that goes up. So you're talking about some real money with this. And actually the place that, that, and you're bringing up the, the gymnast uh, makes this, uh, this point really well. The, the the scrub football player is not really going to benefit from this that much. Not much. They're going to benefit. Yeah. They'll, they'll have some benefits there. But what's interesting is a lot of the players on the – a lot of the players, a lot of the athletes in the non-revenue sports that actually have followings, mm-hmm. they're going to benefit tremendously. So if you think about, for example, a softball player at – one of the top softball school. I mean, you think if you're my age
1: called Oklahoma,
3: Oklahoma, or if you're my age, you remember Jenny Finch.
1: Oh yeah. Arizona
3: from Arizona. She was just absolutely dominant player and also a beautiful woman. And you take Jenny Finch in the Instagram era. She would have been a multimillionaire by her sophomore year Mm -hmm. because she was throwing it harder than anybody else. Her dad actually had a product called the, and still does called the Finch windmill. That was about that was to try to, uh, to train uh, uh, the, basically a pitcher for better better arm velocity to to produce better velocity on the mound. And you you take some of that stuff and you add this to the scholarship, and now those those kids are making more money in in college than they can make as influencers, than they can make a, 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 you know in a professional league. I mean, you're not going to make mm-hmm. a ton of money per year from a WNBA team. But if you're a, 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 an athlete at say, t- uh, you know, Tennessee or UConn, and you have a following of, you know, 300,000 people who are following your Instagram or more, some of those, some of those, you know, women's basketball players have more. I mean, the ones that are really top level, yeah. the elite players or the elite athletes in non-revenue sports are going to massively benefit from this. And, and that's something that I think, uh, uh, is, is not talked about as much because it's, everybody wants to talk about the, uh, the revenue sports that, you know, the football players and the basketball players, and obviously the best football players are going to get some, and obviously the, the best basketball players are going to, are going to benefit mightily, but it's the, the, not a lot of non-revenue sports athletes are really going to benefit from this. Maybe even disproportionately compa- compared to what some of the uh, revenue sports guys might've already been getting below, you know, below the table.
1: Well, so what, <laughs> one, one thing you just brought up, Jason was, so what Jason's doing right now is he's looking at the fair market value for a post on social media. Fair market value is something that in my review of proposed NIL policies and the NCAA's interim policy and sort of following this now and actually working on it um, for, for for a little while now, things that I've seen come out proposed from different places, from people, from schools, from, um, from the NCAA, from all over the place is there was this idea floating around that most most institutions that I'm aware of have just kind of gone away from. But originally there was this idea that maybe we can somehow restrict um, we can restrict income or restrict the value of the contract, the NIL agreement that the player signs with whatever third party sponsor or vendor that is. We can restrict that to quote unquote "fair market value. But then I never saw it defined. And mm-hmm. what that did for me, the light bulb went off, or I guess, I guess the, the siren went off because the fair market value up until literally today for college athletes services to a university was zero. And it was artificially deflated to zero. That was the fair market value because the mm-hmm. university universities, member conferences along with the, you know, and then the broader NCAA all decided that that was going to be the fair market value. We just, de- we determine the market. We are the market. Colleges, universities, NCA, and the market says it's zero. I was concerned that by these universities and by these conferences and the NCAA potentially trying to cap it at fair market value and reinsert themselves into that decision-making process, that we were going to have artificial deflation of the value of these NIL agreements. Mm. Luckily, sane people got into the ears of the people making these decisions, apparently and told them, um, that feels like we're going to have potential issues, uh, whether it be antitrust issues, you got, you got title nine issues, right. But you've also got, uh, uh, you've got, you've got essentially non-compete, you know, you might have non-compete issues with that. We'll get into that with the shoe deals um, and the side agreements there and whether or not you're allowed, you're at a school that allows you to contract an NIL agreement with an existing university sponsor. That's another issue I saw come up that a lot of people sort of abandoned, I think, for non-competition reasons. But the big thing here is, and I want to bring this example up, I read a story today about Mackenzie Milton, the former UCF quarterback. He's down at Florida State. And De'Eric King, the quarterback at Miami, got together. And this has obviously been in the works for months and months and months. They didn't just (laughs) launch it this morning. They've been doing it for at least six months. I had a brilliant idea this morning after reading this article for a new business and said, damn it, I should have been doing this for the last 12 months. And I just thought about it today. How can I push this out in the next six hours? (laughs) It's not going to happen, but their idea is brilliant. And I guess somebody got into their ear and saw the same fair market value issues that I saw and that other people apparently saw and said, hold on a second, we're going to go ahead and we're going to determine what the market is and we're going to do it legitimately. So what they did is they created a website and uh, Jason, if you can look up the name of it, um, You know, please look that up for me. Um, But they created a website that posts all the appearance fees that athletes will, that are currently receiving and will receive from now through whenever they decide to shut the website, shut the website down. Dreamfield. Dreamfield. That's it. So on Dreamfield, you can, they, they, they have a posting. It's just, I think it's right there on the homepage and it shows what the fair, what the actual. Fees are that athletes are receiving for doing public appearances, who the athlete was, where the appearance was, things like that. It's broken down into a spreadsheet. It's very digestible, very easy to read. And what that does is it cuts the knees out of any university or conference or the NCAA itself trying to say the fair market value of your service is this. So you got paid $60,000 to go speak at this car dealership. We think you should have been given $200, says college or university or, uh, or conference. Well, now you can say, Nah, I get sixty thousand dollars because so and so over here in Lincoln, Nebraska got seventy two thousand dollars to do the exact same thing. I'm just in a different market. So my so the price that I was paid was absolutely fair, and now you won't have that interference in those agreements. It is more of a free contracting type of situation. Um, I thought that that was brilliant. The other thing that they're getting into is they're getting into NFTs, the non fungible tokens. Um, you know, that thing that's going on now. And I honestly don't even fully ex- understand it. Somebody, if one, one of the three, you understand how NFTs work.
3: I actually, I actually what, do. What are so. you buying?
1: Like you're, you're buying pieces of it's a piece of IP or what is Nothing. It? It's actually, no. so
3: it's, it's worse than that.
1: It's like, do- <laughs> it's like, do- it's, like do- it's like Dogecoin, it's, but you got it's images. It's Dogecoin.
3: It's exactly what it is. <laughs> so basically an NFT is a, it's a crypto uh, uh, application. So, Essentially, what what you do with an NFT is you're buying a barcode, to mm-hmm. put it in sort of analog terms. Okay, uh, you are buying a string of numbers that says you are the owner of this sort of digital parking space.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: That says you know. So uh, this this actually started. The first NFT was a um, was an artist who had who was you know selling digital prints and different things, and what he d- decided to do was to sell basically licensed digital images that he had done that basically by buying the NFT, you went on the blockchain as you were the actual owner of this. Now, do you actually own anything more than someone else who might download the same thing? No, but you actually are the licit owner of this like collectible.
1: You've got legal rights. You've got legal
3: rights to that thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, you
3: you don't even have legal rights rights to the thing. You don't Oh, really? You no, basically
0: just get to say
3: it's mine. That's right. You get to <laughs> say that it's yours, but you don't actually have any rights to the object itself. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, you can sell an NFT that is not actually attached to anything that is tangible in the real world. You can just say, I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I am, I uh, am, you know, and the NBA, for example, has, uh, has.
1: NBA got into this. I saw that.
3: Yeah, Yeah. they're selling NFTs to like highlights. So there's a highlight video and the video is posted and then you can become a part owner of that video that you actually have no rights to do anything with. You can't like take that video and, you know, play it for a stadium of people without the NBA giving you rights to do that separately. But you can just say, like, I remember this highlight and I actually liked it so much that I bought part of that I bought Mm -hmm. it. But that's it's, all you have. You have no rights to the thing itself. It's that. So you want to talk about basically buying nothing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the closest thing I can think of to buying nothing while still saying that you're, you're sort of buying something. It,
1: well, it, it's, they're, it's they're, doing, they're doing that. Mackenzie yeah. Milton and D.R. Kang are doing that, along with they've, they've blasted out to the whole world what these kids are getting for appearances, which I yeah. think is brilliant. And it cuts the knees yeah. out of any fair market value. Well, and the, the that, NFT
0: thing is the perfect way to launder money, basically. <laughs> like, well, you it's, know, yeah, it, it's the equivalent of, of naming a star after someone or buying a plot of land. Oh, car. I got you. <laughs> great. That's, that's a, a great, great analogy. analogy.
1: Okay. I get it. I understand it now. Thank yeah, you. No, you it's that, literally just
0: like, I bought that star. Like, okay.
1: Awesome. Yeah. That star is yours <laughs> yeah. with the Congrats. universe, with the universe yeah. background behind them exactly yeah. see John if you would have had the video the last time our last conversation would have gone this this, <laughs> this smooth too <laughs> Thanks thanks for nothing but yeah that,
3: that that's that's a perfect analogy and the thing is NFTs are there's an unlimited amount of NFTs that you can sell so if mm-hmm. you're a popular athlete you can just sell NFTs of whatever you want and have mm-hmm. people buy those and they're buying something that the market that you know the market value whatever people are willing to pay but literally you're, they're just giving you money
1: for nothing. Yeah. So, so, so so let's go back. I I think that clears a lot up. So, yeah, so those kids are doing that. They've obviously set the (laughs) super smart. They've set the market now, or at least they've made the market transparent for what these appearances are going to cost, which I think is a great tool for, for these kids moving forward. Um, Let's go ahead and clarify here. This is not a loser for the NCAA from a financial standpoint. It's not a loser for the universities. Uh, We'll get into how it maybe possibly could be, but in the grand scheme, it's not really a loser for the universities. Uh, Because the universities are not permitted to actually compensate the athletes. The universities can't participate in this. Now, what they can do, so they can't arrange, uh, they can't arrange NIL agreements. Just like they couldn't
3: arrange boosters to provide payments beforehand, right?
1: Exactly. Um, But what they, what, what universities can do and actually are expected to do in terms of participation in this process is that they are expected to. Take the NIL agreements that athletes enter into and review them and make sure that they're in compliance with state law or with the university's policies slash both. Once Congress passes federal legislation on this, which I'm certain is going to happen so that there's some uniformity, and the NCAA is lobbying very hard for it, I should say. This is one thing Congress might actually give them. They won't give them the antitrust exemption, but they might give them this. Um, once that passes, then schools will have to determine whether these NIL agreements and these arrangements are in line with, with federal law. And I should also make this point, the way this works is if you're in a state per the NCAA's interim guidance, the way this is gonna work until the NCAA comes out with uh, their full NIL policy that I assume most universities will adopt once it's out there. Um, If you live in a state right now that has an effective law, an effective NIL law, so we'll use Florida as the example. If you are in Florida today, you have to abide by the law of the state of Florida when it comes to your NIL activities, if you're an athlete or if you're a university, cause these NIL laws will cover university conduct as well. If you're in a state that doesn't have a law or doesn't have a law that's effective, then you defer or you default to um, the conferences policy. Or if your university has a policy, you, you drop one more step down to the university policy. Um, so there's a lot of gap fillers in the way um, or along the way, but it starts with, if, you got a, if, you, if you're in a school, in a state, that has a law, file that law. If your state doesn't have an effective law or doesn't have one um, at all, whether it's proposed and just not effective or they don't have one at all, then you use the school or the conference's guidelines. That's how the NCAA has, has explained this. Um, that's their interim guidance. Their interim guidance will stay. What they have now, what they have written down, it's, going to, it's only gonna get built upon. It's not necessarily going to change. This is just a gap filler right now so they could at least have something on day one of the rollout. For this NIL stuff because they needed to go ahead and be in line with some of these states that went effective on July 1st. So that's, that's where we are. Some of these schools have restricted, um, like we were talking about with the shoe thing, Jason, so we'll go ahead and we'll get to that. Some of these schools have decided to restrict athletes from engaging in sponsorships or NIL agreements with existing university or athletics department sponsors. Many schools, most mm-hmm. that I've seen have abandoned this. And I think the reason they've abandoned it is it's essentially forcing your athletes into a non-competition agreement that there's no consideration supporting. This is basic contract yeah. law. The you can't force not, them if they're not employees. Yeah, exactly. You're not a, you're not contracting with the university. You're contracting with an external third party. The university mm-hmm. coming in and imposing an, what amounts to a non-compete seems a little fishy. And I think that's why most schools have abandoned it. But some schools haven't. And this sort of thing matters. So one, one, one thing I want to make very clear is that these kids are going to need – Guidance um, on how to navigate yep. this stuff. The school you decide to go to, pay very close attention, or the schools you're considering, pay very close very close attention to what their policies are. Pay very close attention to the resources they have available to you. Many schools, Georgia is a per, is a perfect example, have partnered with third parties like Influencer um, or NoCap. Some of these schools, uh, no these are, these are all NIL brand athlete brand building North Carolina
2: services. has as well hasn't it Mike? and I believe mm-hmm.
1: Carolina's Carolina's partnered with is, is is influencer I know Shaq Rashad's working for influencer
2: correct one, one of one of those uh yeah well I think they're they're I don't know what all three of them do but there's like a alphabet soup of names yep Yep. uh that they've partnered with on the NIL thing
1: yeah so what they do is they they're, they're their whole goal or I guess their whole service to the university their contract with the university but they're, the, what universities are doing is they're setting up essentially NIL departments that are headed by this, you know, third-party administrator. We'll use influencers as the example, and,
3: and that is that is the one that UNC has
1: gone with. I just that's okay, yeah. good, yeah. And I'm pretty sure Shaquille Rashad actually works for them. Um, at least it's what LinkedIn told me very recently. I don't know if he's moved on <laughs> or not, but um, that's actually how I learned about it was Shaq was posting on on influencer a lot on, on LinkedIn. So what they do is they they're going to essentially teach these kids how to build their brands. They're going to teach them how best to utilize the NIL process. They're going to get them in line in terms of compliance with their, with the school's policy, things like that. But they don't work for the, for the athlete. That's why the NCAA and all the, and all of these schools are allowing athletes to have NIL representation. These are not agents. They are agents for NIL purposes. They're not agents in the traditional sense. So you, you, what's, what they are prohibited from doing is you're prohibited from contracting with an NIL agent or, or an NIL representative, who could be a lawyer, it could be somebody who provides these type of services, you know, whatever, like a Drew Rosenhaus, but you cannot include in your agreement any promise that I will sign on with you when it comes time to negotiate my pro contract, if I go pro. So there can't be an agreement for future representation services. It is strictly for stay in your lane NIL while you're in college. Um, kids are gonna need to help navigating this and you're gonna see an explosion in this industry of services that are going to be available. Like you saw an explosion in recruiting services, probably about we've seen them for a long time, but really last 15, 20 years, we saw a real explosion in services that help kids get recruited, navigate recruiting, that sort of thing. You're going to see that now in this NIL space. It's going to start to blow mm-hmm. up. Many of it, many of these companies got ahead of the curve and they already exist. Sorry, go ahead, Mr. Sanders.
2: Well, uh, with you and Jason on, I feel like I do have to raise my hand. <laughs> uh, if i'm not going to be a potted plant for the entire i'm sorry this stuff gets me excited yeah
0: that was me last pod it's okay buck
2: <laughs> so he, here's here's my question or one one question
1: yeah
2: uh ea sports has already said they're going to have a college football game in video game in 2023 uh th- that's already a done deal it's going to launch in 2023 they're working on it now They're not – I wouldn't think they're not uh, going to get a deal with every single player on every single team uh, if they're going to go to the old format of Mike Ingersoll has got a sleeve or whatever on his left elbow or right elbow. Yeah. Um, I would think there would have to be some collective part of this – where, uh, the, all the athletes at all the power five schools or whatever schools are involved in EA sports, uh, get a cut of the pie, uh, for rep being represented in the game.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: How does that happen? Because it's
1: <laughs> you're getting the collective bargaining now. Yeah. Well, they, they've already yeah. got
2: a, they've already got a model
3: of this for the N- NFL though. I mean,
2: yeah, but the NFL has a, a Players, Players Association. Association.
1: Right. But, so but they, I, they,
2: they can collectively bargain. But what about college athletes?
1: Well, so you've got an issue, right? You have an issue with current NIL policies at all these universities that you either cannot, wholesale cannot, use marks or logos in pursuing compensation for use of your NIL. Or if you do, you have to pay a licensing fee to the university, which I actually think is a very fair – frankly, think that's a fair compromise, um, the licensing fee component of it. But w- if you're at a school that doesn't allow you to use marks and logos, then EA Sports is going to have to negotiate with the university a waiver of that part of their policy in order to get those kids to check. But the kids are going to have to be a part of that too. And without union, essentially union representation or the ability to collectively bargain and have a seat at the table, they're going to have a very hard time negotiating that sort of deal. So the, the complication is you have essentially a built-in, a, a built-in all-stop for some schools that adopt a policy that doesn't allow you to use marks or logos, or if there's a state law, if that state's law doesn't allow you to use the university's marker logo in pursuing NIL compensation, when that game comes out, they're going to have to have Alabama is going to have to have a maroon helmet, a crimson helmet with a number on the side. And UNC is going to have to have a Carolina blue helmet with Argyle down the middle and a UNC logo stamped on the side. And,
2: and they're not, my belief is, they're not going to have some generic person playing quarterback in 2023. Uh, it's going to be a Bryce Young lookalike with a Bryce Young mm-hmm. number. So how does that Bryce young get compensated? Which if you go back to the Obannon case, that's what got all this started to begin with, you know, you, 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 haven't solved the original problem. Um, so my guess is some really smart organization is working on this right now, how do we pull this off either through the licensing? uh maybe the university uh is involved somehow mm-hmm. maybe uh some, in, except, in some except
1: except they can't be. they can't they can't pay the players you see the complicated this this is what makes us so thorny and buck buck i mean this is a fantastic point leave it to all you know all the world wisdom that buck sanders has thank you buck for getting us back you're welcome pace. if we just let him talk this would be a, a an easier conversation it's my fault <laughs> um But, yeah, these are the thorny issues because the school can't be involved in arranging compensation for these athletes' use of their NIL. They can only be involved in reviewing the agreements and making sure they're in line with state law or the university's policy and don't otherwise offend, you know, the university. Is it being involved if
2: they waive uh, the logo and marks thing for this one specific enterprise?
1: If it's waivable, if you've got a state law in place, it may not be waivable. Yeah.
2: These are well, things
1: that legislatures are gonna have, legislators are going to have to think about as they're crafting these. Like North Carolina, for example, has a proposed bill. It's It was proposed in the Senate, Senate Bill 324. Um, it was proposed back on March 18th, but it, mm-hmm. it hasn't been voted on. And, and right now it has a projected effective date, even if it does pass both houses and then the governor signs it it has a projected effective date of, of 2024. Now that's going to ultimately, that's going to have to get bumped up. It's, just, it's just yeah. the way it's going to have to well, go, but they can obviously default back to the ACC's policy or UNC's policy in the meantime, but the state of North Carolina currently doesn't have legislation that's effective. But once they do, and I can, I mean, go, go ahead and I'll actually pull the proposed legislation here. I believe it has a marks or logos prohibition in it. I, yeah, I don't know if it's even out of committee
0: yet, um, that bill, because I was following that a little bit. But my thing was this, you know, you mentioned Shaq, um, Shaquille Rashad working for the NIL things. Well, if, if universities are going to have these NIL groups help out the athletes, who's paying those NIL groups? Is that athletes? So the athletes are paying the NIL, but UNC. So the university
1: connects, they pick which NIL group they want to use. So back up, so back up. So this, this is a point that I, and I, I did, I, we stopped talking about it before I was able to get this out. Now I realize it happened. Let me clear up some confusion. These yep. NIL groups like influencer or no cap, for example, they're contracted with the university. The school's paying them. They don't okay. arrange compensation. They just teach brand building. Think of it that way. Okay. They are like a new compliant, They're like a, they're like an outside compliance department just for NIL. Um, the Outside outside companies that you actually contract with, they're yeah. the ones. That's your representation. There, those those companies will also exist. They will be contracted with the athlete, not with the university. And okay. it's those third party companies, there's a there's a few of them. There's not a lot of them, but there's a few of them that exist right now. Um, they will be the ones that take a cut. Most likely, I would assume this is what the contract would look like. They'll get a percentage of of, uh, uh, of every payout that you get pursuant to that NIL agreement.
2: Speaking what? of compliance, if I can jump in, I'll allow again, it. I need to uh, stop.
1: I need to stop talking you go it, it, nuts. with,
2: with, the uh, consent of the committee. I'll, uh, <laughs> extend my remarks. Um, so in, in terms of compliance, let's say, uh, NIL, as we know it right this minute, Went into effect in 2008, 2009, and Marvin Austin and Greg Little are knocking down whatever they're knocking down um, on as a, on NIL in 2010. When the NCAA shows up on campus and says, "Hey, we want to talk to you guys." Is there any chance that those guys are going to go in and talk to the NCAA without legal representation? Uh, And, and if the NCAA does anything to them, they have real damages in real time. I make an X amount of money per month. Doing NIL stuff. And if you suspend me for any period of games and it turns out later you shouldn't have, I'm going to sue you to Argentina. Mm hmm. Uh, isn't that how does that, what are we looking at in terms of uh, NCAA compliance these days when they're, you know, yeah. same scenario. Um, 2022 hopefully not involving north carolina let's <laughs> say they go to south carolina and uh, show, they wouldn't
3: have the players for it
2: uh, uh, they pull luke dotty in or who whatever his name is doty dotty um and, the fact and that
3: you're not even sure tells you that it's that that yeah, it's I'm not, not sure. implausible that's to a, go yeah to maybe either. not maybe
2: that's south a bad carolina. example but you get the point <laughs> yeah uh uh, you got to pull that guy in and, and, and for some matters like, uh, Robert Quinn could have got all the jewelry he wanted to under this legislation, right? I mean, under mm-hmm. this, yeah, this program,
3: jury's tattoos, been, for all the Ohio state players, right?
2: The you know, Florida uh, state players. Yeah. <laughs> no, none of that is the
1: laptops for Cam Newton.
2: <laughs> whatever. Yeah. How many of those did he have, uh, laptops, like not 10. enough.
1: Apparently. Yeah. <laughs>
2: But, I mean, it wipes out one entire angle of compliance, right, for the NCAA. For
1: the most part. What you're
2: you're identifying
1: is if you get held out. So Buck's, Buck's example, his hypothetical is you get held out for X number of games, and that has a monetary value attached to it. From the civil side, that would require that contract to most likely have a rider in there that says, if you're suspended for any games, then this contract's null and void, or your compensation will skip whatever period, and you know you won't be paid for whatever period you're suspended. There's a thorniness in that also, from yeah. a practical standpoint, that you can't be compensated on these NIL agreements. And this, again, this is a restriction. Play. Makes, it makes sense. You can't be compensated for your athletic performance. So yeah. me playing in the, I can't be paid based on me being in the game. Now, my athletic performance can enhance my nil value but it can't be the quote-unquote consideration or the basis of that agreement now in your example now there will we will figure out ways to contract around this so you can we will figure out a way to have the rider where you got to be yes. on the field but that's not the reason why you're being paid but it is a i don't want to call it a force majeure clause but it's the type of thing that could put you in default of your agreement if you end up getting suspended ah. well the easy thing Com- would NCA compliance yes. might actually get cleaner because yeah, well, no, they, easy probably, way to
3: do this is that is that is that you basically say, look, if there's a, if, if, if you put a character clause in or something like yeah. that, so that yeah, if mor- you, a morality clause, yeah, yeah, and and then yeah. as soon as you get suspended for breaking rules or something like that, then you're wiped out, n- yeah. no problem.
0: Yeah. It'll say that that for the duration of the contract, the athlete must remain in good academic and and adhere to all el- eligibility standards. There'll yep. be
1: some some language like, like so that. So okay. the students, Wait, might, it, it, the athletes might even start policing themselves from an NCAA enforcement standpoint. The NCAA may not have another job to do for the rest of their existence. Yeah, that, I mean, this, that's, I'm not that's losing, a good point. I, I'm and, not losing money because of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, not gonna, I'm not getting kicked off the field and losing money because of this stuff.
2: Uh, yeah, the one coach told me, Um, a couple of years ago that like the toughest period of time for coaching is like once spring practice is over and the kids are released and they go back home Mm -hmm. or whatever, cause you know, you got to worry about what they're doing, how, how late they're staying out at night and this, that, and the other, but I mean, there's certainly going to be, have to be some. Restrictions on these NIL contracts. If you have a situation like you had at, uh, Baylor or, mm. you know, uh, now LSU or, uh, Tennessee, I think may have had, uh, also issues mm-hmm. where a kid gets charged with some morally Virginia reprehensible crime,
1: Virginia tech, the kid right now facing murder charges.
2: There you go. Uh, an influencer is not going to be paying that kid you know, uh, if he's can't make bail on a second degree murder charge, I mean,
1: contractually, I think that's entirely defensible and under the current NCAA NIL guidance, I think that's entirely defensible too.
0: So my thought is that when it comes to, you know, the, the, the limitations from what I've been reading, it sounds like the NCAA is largely going to punt that to the States. Mm -hmm. And if not the States, then, then the conferences, um, is that roughly y'all's understanding? Yep.
3: Yes. Or then to
2: the schools after that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And
3: and and I'll, I'll, I I want to add a couple a couple things here that have come up uh, along the way. One is I I I'm curious to see how this filters down to you know Mike you mentioned the explosion of of recruiting sites and things like that. I mean of which inside Carolina is part of the 24 seven network.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You know that's a big deal. Well. I'm curious to see how this impacts, say, coverage of recruiting for, you know, athletes who are now in high school and they don't have to worry about NIL situations going into college. How many of these kids say, look, if you want a recruiting update from me, you're going to have to pay me. Hmm. How many of these, how many of these situations? You know, Jason,
2: you could just stop talking about that right now. (laughs) You know, I mean, but,
3: uh, you know, full let, well. Let, you know, let, let, let's, let's, I know, let's
2: not I know do that. Let's I know move on to a different topic. I know what well, happens.
1: I get my pink slip from inside Carolina when we make cuts. Yeah, that's but, exactly what well, I mean. But I, think but I the, mean, you well, know, full
2: well that I'm NW not the one again. that's introducing
3: this uh, this part of the discussion. I mean, I saw this on Twitter earlier today. It that's like, a great, oh, it's a great, it's a great point. Well, so the
1: NILs. go ahead, John. Sorry. I
0: said, well, wouldn't age come into effect? Because if you're talking with high school kids, they're not legal adults. And in some states, there's a lot of limitations on, Yes. the
1: ability for miners to enter into contracts. Yes. So one, one thing that is the one glaring thing here that I isn't getting a lot of press and my business idea, I should probably keep my mouth shut, but I'm not going to. Um, no, keep this, quiet. This, this is NIL, for after the pod.
2: Yeah. This, this, this is like a, 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 what's that guy's name? Ron, somebody I, I had to write remain silent. I just didn't have oh, the ability. Ron, yeah. Oh,
1: Ron white. Yeah. Yeah. But so the NIL stuff doesn't, there's no, there's no restrictions on high school kids setting up these agreements going into college. Mm-hmm. So there's a restriction on a college kid signing on with a NIL representative or an agent. And in that agreement, agreeing that you're going to be my agent for my pro contract if I go pro for future services. There's no restriction on entering into an NIL agreement if you're underage, right, with your parents' consent mm-hmm. in high school and having that agreement carry over into college. So long as that agreement doesn't say, if you get into X school, then this agreement becomes active, or if you go to this program, or if you don't go to this program, if it doesn't steer you to or away from a certain university, but just says, once you're in college, we'll represent you for NIL purposes, there's nothing, based on how it's all currently written, there's nothing stopping that. Now, that's a big gap. That's a big hole. And there might, that might actually come to be. But what you do have is what John pointed out is the protection of parents. So minor status forces the parents to become involved in that process. So that may not end up being legislated because legislators and the NCAA and universities and conferences will, under, will all understand that these kids, if they're under 18 years old, are going to have to have their parents involved in the process. And you would presume not always the case, but you would presume that the parents would have the child's best interests at heart and would steer that child in the right direction. So that would be the, you know, you, the state doesn't need to protect or the university or the conferences or the NCAA doesn't need to protect those high school kids or those prospective athletes because their parents should be doing that job for them. So they might not get involved at all.
2: One, one other thing to throw into the mix uh, un, under Jason's uh, hypothetical is that um, kids and you've seen this if you paid any attention at all uh kids being recruited use a recruiting process to build their social media presence oh yeah um and if if they're going to uh tell the variety or of uh recruiting services or whatever you're going to have to charge you will, you're going to have to pay us to do this they're actually that's undercutting themselves that's right uh, yeah because uh you know you, you see, guys being recruited that'll post and say, "Hey, I'm so and so. I'm considering X, Y, Z schools. Help me! I've got 5,000 followers. Help me get to 10,000." Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So, really, the whole point there is to build their uh, social media following. And and if you're one of uh, ever how many kids that are being recruited. Um, you want to build as big a social following as you possibly can. Um, so I, I don't see that as an issue for 24 seven or for inside Carolina moving forward, yeah. because what we're doing in essence is helping them, uh, build their social following through the recruiting process. So,
3: yeah. I, but, cou- I couldn't agree more. I mean, we are in, in so many ways. I mean, you think about what 24 seven does. Even I mean, before the NIL uh, ability, uh, you know, ability to to benefit from that, getting exposure on twenty four seven or on you know a number any of the any of the other uh, recruiting services, that that is exposure for those athletes with with colleges, uh, you know the combines and things and the 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 various uh, various things that 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 all these sites have done. That's major exposure for these kids. And then you, you add to that the social media following and all of those things where, you know, when you when you write an article about a kid, people suddenly go and they find that kid's Twitter account or his Instagram account. All of a sudden, that's a few more followers. And you're absolutely right, Buck. That it, I mean, that would be trying to kill the golden goose to, you know, to get at the eggs by saying, oh, well, you know, I'm going to try to go for it here. No, the thing to do is to say, hey, can you write an extra or I'll, I'll give you an extra free update here. I'd like one more, you know, one more crack at, uh, at the headline so that I, I can get, a, you know, you know, 20 more followers tonight. That sort of thing is, is really where that goes. There's one other thing that, uh, that uh, John, you said that I thought was really um, uh, important a little while back which was the point about schools backing off of the non-compete type stuff, because then, you know, you, you can't do that with people who aren't employees. Well, that's the real catch 22 of all of this is, and that's why they, you know, we, we kind of skimmed over it a little bit, but you think about that. If it, the, the very last thing that the NCAA or the, or the universities want anything that amounts to a concession that athlete that these athletes are actually employees Mm -hmm. (laughs) right that's what they're trying to avoid that is the one thing like is there anything that we're doing that would give anybody any indication that these are that these athletes are employees and if so we need to stop that
2: well there you go that's why that's that's going to happen though jason it will that's going to happen
3: it will but they're going to try to stave that off as long as they can
1: uh, and that's why the universities are prohibited from paying the students because that is the biggest most yep. obvious control thing, or 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 participation thing in this that the yeah. universities could do that makes them look like employers.
2: Uh, so, just just like we talked about in the Austin case, in um, Justice Kavanaugh's uh, concurrence, he talked about uh, college athletes um, as if they were employees. He never said they were employees, but he said no other industry could. Uh, get away with treating his workers this way right um you know that this is just uh, and he would continually use industry and workers referring to colleges and or the NCAA and and players so Mm -hmm. he's uh, once you start building that language in language is what controls everything you know Mm -hmm. that's it controls us all, basically. And once you start using that language to define what the NCAA is, industry, uh, and define what players are, workers, then ultimately it's going to weave its way into the legal system. And that's how things are going to go. Might yeah. take a while. I mean, the Obama case came out, it uh, started in 09. Here we are, mm-hmm. 2021. Took a little while to get here, but it's going to happen. So, rather than do what the NCAA has done all these years is deny, 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 counter-accuse, which was my favorite motto, uh, by the way, and one I used most when I was attempting to, uh, when I did have a dorsal fin. Uh, <laughs> uh, that that was my favorite motto, and. So rather than do that, though, um, why not? Let's figure out a way to get where we want to go and compensate athletes the way we want to compensate them without, um, trying to reinvent the English language.
0: Yeah. Um, So as I say, I wanted to, to kind of start getting the, the conversation to a topic that I know the message boards are going to be super interested in because you've already seen it pop up in terms of recruiting. I mean, is it going to be a recruiting advantage if the SEC basically says, you know, if your NIL passes the most cursory test imaginable, congratulations, rake in the money, while you have maybe the ACC or the PAC-12 or some others saying, well, we're actually going to take a deeper look at this. I mean, how, how do you guys see that playing out in the actual, real practical application of, of this stuff? It's well, going to be they Go
2: first, if I can. <laughs> go ahead. Go, Buck. <laughs> I had a recruit tell me, and he was recruited probably 25 years ago. Um, went on a official visit to Texas. And uh, while he was there, they gave him a pair of uh, s- snakeskin. Cowboy boots and inside the boot was a big old fat wad of cash.
1: Mac Brown doesn't do that buck.
2: This this was five years before. This this is pre-MAC. Pre-Mac. Yeah. Uh and you and Jason, uh his is way more outspoken on this topic than I am. What SEC school hasn't been handing wads of cash? to recruits, you know, the booster handshakes. Um,
0: <laughs> For those who are, are only listening, Jason cannot nod his head. He can't <laughs> nod his head harder right now.
2: So, you know, how is it going to benefit the SEC when, effect, now all schools can do that, you know? Uh, and as a big point, Buck, so the
1: NCAA has made it clear in their guidance that – Relationships with boosters are to be encouraged and not discouraged. So you can't restrict athletes from going, getting into contracts with boosters who own a business locally because as the NCAA, Sam
2: Howell isn't it a Tesla next year, then he's sleeping on it. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. But the, the, yeah, boosters, boosters provide a valuable service in terms of network building and relationship building to the, you know, to the university. And just because, just because the booster gave a thousand dollars, just because the guy who owns the Burger King franchise down the street also gave a thousand dollars to the program last year should not be a reason why you're not allowed to now go get a sponsorship deal with that booster. So the NCAA recognizes the inherent concerns, you know, the the $100 handshakes from these boosters, but they also feel like if these athletes are going to have a real opportunity to benefit off of this stuff. And this is the NCAA saying they're not it's not out of the goodness of their hearts. They're doing this so they don't get sued, okay? Yeah. Again, but the NCAA's position is that your best opportunity to actually monetize yourself and to take advantage of this new NIL freedom Is to work with local businesses and most of those local businesses, especially in college towns are all going to be owned by boosters or alumni. And if you were to wipe out the allowance for athletes to go and work, work with boosters and contract with boosters, then you'd wipe out almost every opportunity for the, for the lower level guys who we've talked about here, or the lower level girls on some of these Olympic sport teams to actually make money off of this because the smaller businesses are going to be, that's, that's going to be their golden goose. The local tire shop and the local ice cream shop and, you know, uh, Yopo right there on Franklin Street. Um, That's going to be the best shot for some of these athletes. And if you wipe out the boosters, Sutton's, Sutton's, you wipe out the boosters. Well, who's left to actually contract with if you're one of those folks? Now,
3: you, you mentioned that, you know, a booster who owns a business can contract with the player to do that or whatever. Where this really gets wild is with the NFTs. forget a hundred dollar handshake. I'm just going to, I'm going to buy your NFT. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: How much, how much, how much is your, how much is this NFT? 250. You got it.
0: Yeah. But Why don't you make
3: this one? Why don't you make this one 1500? Cause I'd really, really like a more rare NFT. You know, there's all sorts of ways of doing this and yeah, it does become the wild West, but I think, I think Buck's point on this is that everybody who's wanted to be competitive. And I mean, everybody who's wanted to be competitive has already been doing this sort of thing under the table for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And some programs are much better at it and have much stronger networks built in than others to be able to do this. And one of the things that's happened is a lot of that money gets funneled through other channels to, to launder it. So private schools, uh, churches, coaches, all sorts of things end up taking their cut. What what this ends up doing is it brings a lot of that stuff above the table, so that first of all, you you can kind of see across the board like they're doing this, they're doing this. We're we can we can do that, or well, we can't play, we can't match up with that. Well, you know that's actually that's a, that's a good thing. In terms of the, the programs that want to, that want to be competitive and, and other programs that may not have the networks to do some of the same things, this, is, this has been going on from the beginning, and it will go on with or without NFT legislation, and now that this is available, now that it's above the table... There's very little reason for a lot of these networks now with the hundred dollar handshakes to to be working below the table when you can again you can just buy some NFTs for a kid that are above the table. What what what
1: difference does it make? The differentiation between these programs is going to be the the resources that they offer from the university side. Again, your your influencer and your no cap those benefits. How are we? How is the university going to provide you resources that will help you build your brand and help you make more money? How's how how are they going to do that? That's the school
0: provide an accountant because let's not (laughs) let's not forget about that
1: these kids are going to learn what income taxes are real quick
0: yeah yeah i mean that's that's a but that's a legit thing is before yeah i I, you know a 500 hundred dollar wad of cash in a boot no one's reporting that the irs has no clue but these nfts and and nils those are being reported
1: it's all coming with w-9s i mean it's all going to be well, because actually, a lot business. of these, it's
3: going to be worse because it won't come with a W-9 because it'll be, you know, contract work that doesn't require it because it'll be below the threshold, which mm-hmm. means you need to report it, but you don't have the paperwork for it, which is yeah. that much worse. Trust me, I've, I've been
0: down that road. And you'll be getting kids getting a 1099 all of a sudden and wonder, whoa, what,
1: what do I do with this? this? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Now, I, but I, the uh, difference, the difference here is that schools that did that sort of thing and who knows who's done it. Am I going to swear that nobody at North Carolina has ever handed, um, uh, you know, a recruit, a wad of cash. I'm sure Mike has still got money squirreled away in his, you know, uh, hidden all around his, uh, apartment or whatever. Mike's uh,
0: got a kid now. He doesn't have money. No
1: comment. <laughs> yeah. I'm both. Yeah. No comment. on
2: both. Uh, but at the same time, I think one of the things, you know, going back historically for North Carolina is that, um, even back to like, you know, before the world war, you know, North Carolina had, uh, when Buck was in school, a certain amount of, yeah, thanks for that, Mike, Uh, Just Mr. Elbow sleeve (laughs) on NCAA. Cut um, off speed
0: real quick here, guys. Hold on.
2: Are you back? What are we doing here?
0: Oh, no, I was just messing. Continue oh, your train okay. of thought, Buck, that Mike and I completely <laughs> took you off.
2: El Hefe thought you were serious there. No, no. El right, here we go. Uh, this is a serious point, yeah. which <laughs> is that North Carolina thought of itself as um, – a public Ivy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when it came to football specifically, um, and, and the daily Torhill was uh, leader of this back in the day, they had a fit when, uh, they hired the coach from Maryland, uh, that died of a tick bite. His name is on the tip of my tongue. I can't think of it right now. Oh. Um,
1: Oh, he on was only dash- here for like a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. God, who was that?
2: In any event, when he was hired, it was like, oh, this is the end of the world. We know it. Uh, you know, they're hiring professional gunslingers as coaches. These guys should be, you know, PE instructors. So you just coach football on the side or whatever, you know. And and more so with football than with basketball. Uh, North Carolina had always uh, thought of Mentative. itself. There you go. It was on the tip of my tongue. I couldn't think of it. Was long. it Jason Jim Tatum? Jim Tatum. That's right. That's right. Um, and so there was always this um, pearl clutching and so going on with the football program because we don't want big time sports. We don't want to be like the SEC and those uh, the great unwashed. You know, at uh, you know the University of Alabama and. Louisiana state. We don't want to be like those people. Um, we want to keep, you know, athletics pure, you know, at, uh, you know, North Carolina. Well, there's not everybody, but there was a segment of, uh, the powers that be at the university of North Carolina that, um, really fought hard and had this idea that, uh, we don't want big time football because it's dirty and in, in chapel Hill, it drags our reputation down. Well, this helps in that regard, because if it's all above board and you know, it's the law it's the lay of the land. Uh, nobody can get upset if, uh, you know these NFTs or whatever you're calling them, um, people are paying these things because it's the lay of the land. Now it's above board. It's legal. um, It's not a hundred dollar handshake from a, uh, uh, the local owner of a strip club or what have you. Uh, I'm just saying.
3: uh, What you're saying is it's compatible with the, you know, quote unquote Carolina way. And I I do think that that makes a big difference in terms of, how many people in, say, the North Carolina family are willing to get on board with that sort of thing? I, I think that's absolutely huge.
1: Doesn't doesn't that advantage only have to do with athletes once they're on campus? I mean, how is that going to affect kids when they're still getting recruited? Strength
2: of brand. Well, yeah, you're. You know, the hundred dollar handshake.
1: The hundred dollar handshake is to get the kid on campus in the first place. Once he's on campus, yeah, like. Great. The benefits are the NIL benefits and everything and all the, the resources the school provides, you know, from the third party administrator of the NIL department's great. All that's well, wonderful. But you still got to get that kid onto campus and that high yeah. school kid, a hundred dollar handshake might actually still be the way to do it. Well, I think I think what, I think what, we're muddying. I think we're I, Buck's point is a great one, but I think we're yeah. starting to muddy things a little bit. There is a well, there yeah, is a line between between prospect and actually on campus and the NIL stuff. Again, we talked about how it could potentially help you know a prospect could potentially monetize that and take advantage of it but there's really no real advantage until you're on campus and you're supported by the brand of the school that you're at well, but you I, could
3: I, you I, could I, still pay prospects you know uh, you know love to see you in chapel hill kind of thing and it's not contingent on you know going to you, there there are lots of ways that you can oh, actually yes, work there this are. out yes, there are, to yes. to do this above board even with prospects I mean, it's a little more, a little trickier, but you can definitely do it. So, you know, those of you out there who are, you know, inclined in this direction should probably already be thinking about that. This, well, this, I, is, where, this think, is where
1: boosters are going to become a problem. Is the is the prospect side, not not the already on on campus side. It's the prospect side that'll okay. be the issue because. I think the, I think the
2: biggest selling point is going to be during recruiting when they go on visits, and they're talking to the other players. How much did you make last month?
0: Well, that's Mm -hmm. what I was going to say. Is how much did
2: you make last year?
0: The smart Mm -hmm. recruiting departments are going to have an entire spread that says in the in the year of twenty twenty two, the LSU football team averaged X dollars. From NFT and, and NIL, right? Which right. is going to be
1: easy for them because there's mandatory disclosure requirements under all these state laws exactly. and under right. the current, right. on every conference and, and university policy I've seen yep. and the NCAA policy, there's mandatory a, disclosure of your agreement. That, that's a,
2: going to be the recruiting pitch is, oh yeah. is here's what your potential earnings are. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not here's a hundred dollars, go have a good time, get yourself a steak or whatever, at $15 a pound these days. Um, uh, but a recruit,
1: a recruit entering into an NIL agreement, which again we've already established, we know this. You know, we we know this is how it works at least right now, till they change it. High school prospects can enter into NIL agreements. The issue is, if you enter into an NIL agreement with, like, a booster for a specific school, there is a prohibition on steering players towards certain schools. That agreement will be deemed null and void. Okay, the school can invalidate that, or the NCAA can come in and invalidate that agreement. If if you're being directed to sign on to a certain school or to not sign with a certain school, okay. So when you so you can contract with very specific people, but or you can contract with anyone you want, but that pool is much narrower and it's much more concentrated when you're at the prospect level than once you're actually on campus because you have to eliminate essentially from a practical standpoint any booster for any school or any person who has ties and could be considered a booster to any university because your contract could potentially be invalidated. And then you might have, you, you might have disgorgement issues in terms of giving back to all the money you earned from it. And there's, there's all kinds of enforcement problems with that, that actually haven't been fleshed out from what I've seen by most schools or the NCAA yet. The penalties component of this is going to be the next big development is how is this going to be enforced and what will the penalties be? from on high at the university and also from the NCAA. We know that okay. the NCAA bylaws still are gap fillers and they still apply in certain areas, like the agency issue, Rule, bylaw number 12 that governs amateurism is still going to apply to an agent situation if you contract for future services as opposed to just your NIL. We know that's true, but how, how are the schools going to handle this from a penalty standpoint? Um, that remains to be seen because I haven't seen at least a final version of a penalty system that I think is workable yet.
3: And man, is that going to be complicated. So mm, yes. this also leads to another thing that, uh, Mike, you said we get to, and I think it's probably right about now that we should, is th- that there are some possible ways. I mean, people have asked whether this is going to hurt the schools. And by and large, I agree, it's not going to hurt the schools. The one place that it has the potential to, to hurt the schools is, is actually in the booster situation in terms of boosters who were giving so much money to the school and certain in certain functions here we go Yeah. might be more inclined mm-hmm. to just to take that money directly. and to pay those athletes directly in order because i mean what why was i giving exactly. you know, this much money per, per per month or per year to the school because i want my school to succeed well if which i want my school exactly, to succeed i'm going to pay the athletes to make sure that they're getting on campus so, which is
1: exactly why i think a lot of these schools initially wanted to restrict contracting directly with athletes getting into NIL agreements directly with existing school or athletics department sponsors, because mm-hmm. they're worried about exactly what you just said. Coca-Cola is going to say, God almighty, I'm paying North Carolina $40,000 a year to have my, my logo plastered up in the Dean dome and on the football field and field hockey stadium and a Bosch baseball stadium. I could just pay these athletes a fraction of that. And I get the same exposure. They could just wear Coca-Cola shirts around campus and everybody knows who they are. And I'm getting the same, I'm getting, I'm getting some of the same benefit. Um, that's the concern. That's why I think those uh, those restrictions against you know entering into contracts with existing sponsors. Why that was originally a big consideration for a lot of these schools. But again, I think they dumped it because that's like a de facto non compete. Yeah. And
3: it's an employment, you know, you're declaring, that's that an employment employees. issue. Yeah. It's an employment <laughs> issue.
1: So in the choice
3: between declaring them employees or allowing them to potentially compete, we're going to allow thing, them to compete. Same thing with
1: shoe deals. So this is something this I've seen on the message boards and you brought it up earlier. It's the same concept with a shoe deal. Um, it's going to be hard for a school to say that, you know, there's one, there's one out and I'll get to it in a second and I'll actually read it from the, um, from the proposed North Carolina legislation, but I see it in pretty much everybody's and, um, it's going to be really hard for a Nike school to tell an athlete that you can't contract with Adidas and wear Adidas in your off time because Adidas competes with us. And it's gonna be hard for the university to try and validate that NIL agreement and say, well, we're a Nike school. You can't wear Adidas in your off time. Not, they can say you can't wear Adidas while you're in team activities because every restriction I've seen, and it's another one I agree with, you can't engage in NIL activity during t- scheduled team activities. Um, so you can't wear Adidas while you're at practice or while you're, you know, getting on the team bus or traveling for a game or, you know, with the team because our sponsor is Nike. But it's really hard for the university to say you can't enter into that Adidas agreement on the side because now you're in that non-compete area. Like you're literally entering, you can't enter to a competitor sponsor from the, the sponsor, you know, the, the, the team that sponsors our school. Their only out is, if you, the proposed North Carolina legislation, again, this Senate Bill 324. Um, you have to ensure that the contract terms don't conflict with the provision of the student athletes team contract. I don't know what team contracts are saying these days. Okay. But if you had a team contract, you know, you you come in day one during your, you know, when you sign all your NCAA paperwork and stuff during training camp with football, you remember this Jason? Oh yeah. And nobody ever reads those contracts, but let's say that one of those contracts says we are a Nike school and you agree to wear exclusively Nike that's your team contract. You got state legislation in almost every state that has these passed and most of these universities have a very similar have very similar language in their prohibitions or in their NIL laws or I guess policies that say you can't enter into an NIL agreement that conflicts with your team contract. So if your team contract says we're a Nike school, you got to wear exclusively Nike gear when you're enrolled here at this university, right? Even in your off time. An agreement with Adidas to where Adidas in your non team activity time is going to conflict with your team contract. And that might be the way they can do it. And I may have just given schools, you know, a good idea that I wish I hadn't done. And I'm sorry to everybody that's on campus right now. Yeah. I still think that would monetized. be really tough.
3: I still think that would be really tough to enforce on the
1: I agree. You know, agree. on on the uh, on the side of they'll get sued over it. They but would I think, get sued I think and, they've and got I think that up. I think that yeah, they they have an argument. They can fight it and make it expensive. Yeah. You know, for the yeah. student. Or the student's, you know, agent or marketing team, whoever's representing him. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, look, we've been talking for probably over an
0: hour now. Let's go ahead, wrap it up with just some some quick thoughts. And I mean, what's the immediate future going to look like here? Let's go ahead and wrap it up with that. Let's just go around the room. Jason, let's start with you and just go to whoever after that. So, I mean,
3: I, I think the biggest thing is we're going to see uh, social media and uh, be a major uh, feature for the best athletes on their teams across a variety of, a variety of, um, of sports. And I think you're going to see a lot of athletes who might not have other, might not have been inclined in this direction, really working on managing their, uh, their brand Mm -hmm. from day one and trying very hard to be active and manage and managing their public front. In order to maximize their value, you're going to see a lot of athlete. A lot, I mean, you already saw athletes on social media. You're going to see more and more athletes trying to push that kind of uh, that kind of brand building upfront and 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 making that an important part of what they see as their their current career. Uh, and I and I think that's going to be something, especially in the non-revenue sports, that's going to be a major factor uh, that's going to that's going to help a lot of these athletes, and it's also going to differentiate some of these. Uh, major brand schools, where I think some of the haves and have-not situations in the non-revenue sports, where you only have a few teams that have major followings, that's probably going to further tip the balance for some of those schools. But beyond that, I mean, I'm I'm really curious to see how some of these uh, contracts get worked out and who ends up signing with whom. And I think it's going to be actually kind of fun uh, to to look at, you know, who who's who's signing with what food, you know, with what restaurant or whatever yeah. to see, you know, Oh, he likes to eat there. Or he, you know, just happens to have gotten a good deal. I think that's going to be interesting. And I I'm, I'm also curious to see how this works out with, uh, with boosters in the near
0: future. Yep. Who's, yeah. who's, whose face is going to be on the blue cups at he's not.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll, and I'll, 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 I'll go ahead and I'll jump in. I'll let Buck finish cause I'm sure he'll have a great closing. Um, for me, I don't think it's, this isn't going to be the destruction of the college sports product. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, college college athletics purists that, that think this is going to make this professional sports. This doesn't make this any more professional than the Olympics already and the are. In the Olympics, exactly. Uh, yep. you, and no one the, – the, the demand for the Olympics isn't any less because Michael Phelps was doing subway commercials. It's just not. Um, th- this will not destroy the college sports product. What makes college sports great is your tie to your school and the pride you have in your university or the university that you follow and that you're a fan of. There's a personal connection there that, you, that doesn't exist in professional sports. College sports can never be professional sports for that reason. Um, the personal connection just isn't there in the same way at the pro level. When you have a connection, a personal connection to your university and to your campus, even if you never went there, um, that is something special. And it's something that will never, no, ma- no matter the endorsement deals these kids are getting, that will never go away. So the college product isn't going to be destroyed by this. Um, What this does do is it will actually, I think, build a lot more community engagement and it will build, especially in these college towns, you think a Blacksburg or a Chapel Hill, okay, it's going to make these college towns much more college towny. There's going to be a stronger tie to the university because like Dean Smith said, sports are the front porch of the university. They're the first thing people see and they're the thing people think about and it's really the window dressing. That's what gets everybody really interested for the most part and hyped up about the school you're going to have local businesses contracting with these athletes. Those athletes are going to be there. They're going to be making appearances. It's going to be fun for fans on game day. It's going to be fun for people in the off season. There's going to be just more of a community connection there because now those businesses can be directly tied in. Whereas maybe before they couldn't afford a sponsorship or a vendor cart in Keenan stadium on a Saturday, they can now afford to get, you know, the, they can get Brian Anderson under contract, for some NIL stuff. And I'll give them, you know, a couple of thousand bucks a year, maybe that isn't even close to what the sponsorship the university or the athletics department wanted them to pay was. And now they can have that connection and they can be tied into the program in a way that they weren't before. And, and everybody I'm thinking, you know, big kumbaya powwow. I think this is going to be a much, uh, a much, a much better situation for building community engagement than people are giving it credit for. And if you really want to support these athletes, follow them on social media, buy the products they're pushing, help them out because you don't know the terms of those contracts, but I'd be willing to bet that if you buy something, they get a cut of it. Um, you know, so help these kids out. They're still college kids. Um, you know, until until we start seeing the data of kids making millions of dollars a year, just remember that most of them aren't. Um, and this is th- th- this is fun. Um, it's no different than the Olympics now. doesn't make it pro sports. And I think it's actually going to enhance the community engagement. So with that, Buck, you want to take us out?
2: Well, I, I think... There's uh, always a tendency when these things are fresh and new to overestimate the impact of it, um, uh, to think, well, you know, and we heard this in connection with the, the transfer portal and making athletes, uh, immediately eligible to play if they transfer. Uh, if you look at the impact of the transfer portal, there's some, but it's not anything like free agency in, uh, you know, professional sports. Um, and I think maybe even, uh, name image and likeness might have an impact on kids going into transfer portal. If they're making X amount of you know, dollars at you know, UNC and they're not really getting too much playing time but they're making decent money. Or are they really going to transfer to old dominion? Uh, you know, that kind of thing.
3: Community attachment may actually keep more kids on the roster for longer. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really good point.
2: Uh, so, you know, I, I think you, you will have to see it play out over time. And uh, before we can really, truly talk about this in any sensible way, but it's, it's I think a step in the right direction. Um, and, um, you know, and on a variety of fronts, I think it will help parity in college football to some degree. Um, it, it might in, uh, encourage players to stay with the team that they sign with and those kinds of things. But overall, I think it's easy to get like Mike says being a purist. Oh, we're, you know, it's a professional sport now. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's not that. So, you know, we have to find out really what it is down the road. But we're, we're not moving into the, uh, you know, somebody had a contract expiring soccer today, 674 million over four years.
0: Lionel Messi.
2: It's not that. Uh, so, uh, you know, keep your shirt on and uh, we'll, uh, we'll get through this.
0: Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, hey, appreciate everyone joining me tonight to talk about this. We'll just continue to maybe do these podcasts throughout the year as more things come out because it really is a very interesting and a topic that's going to have a lot of twists and turns in it um, over the course of the next few seasons. So we'll be here at Inside Carolina to break it all down for everyone. But for tonight, for myself, Mike Ingersoll, Jason Staples, and Buck Sanders, wishing everyone a good night.
2: Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com brought to you by
1: JohnnyTShirt.com, where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.
2: Sometimes it takes a killer to catch a killer. These killings are about vengeance. The new season of the hit Paramount Plus original series Criminal Minds: Evolution is now streaming. Buried secrets come to light in the new season as the criminal profilers join forces with an unlikely ally. I have a plan. We will
3: not rely on help from a serial killer.
2: Oh, you most certainly will. Stream the new season of Criminal Minds: Evolution exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free.